Hi, welcome to the Cliff Dorfman Show. We are here at Starburns Studios in lovely downtown Burbank. Is it downtown Burbank? It's close enough to downtown. I think it's downtown adjacent. <laughs> We're here with my with my co-host cohort, Jason Smith, who is my intern and CEO of Starburns Audio. That is correct. He gave me my deal, and now now I have to deal with Cliff. <laughs> He's in the room with me, and he is my cohort. So we are here today, and should I say it's the first episode of the show? Yeah, you know what? I, I, I think that? I feel comfortable saying that this is going to be the first episode of the show. Let's do it. Okay. So approved. Approved. Thank you, Jason. So we are here. This is the convenience of having the CEO in the room. I can just go right. There's no real bureaucracy. So we are here on the premiere first episode of our new show. My new show? What do I say? Yeah, it's yours. This it's is mine. your show. Yeah, it's mine? okay. It's ours, like the, in the grand everything that I have an touches Starburns, like like yes. the Lion King. Right. All, everything the light touches is mine. But <laughs> let's call it ours. <laughs> We're here for our new show, the Cliff Dorfman Show, and this is the first episode, the premiere launch episode with the wonderful, enigmatic, multi hyphenate Dane Cook, ladies and gentlemen. And and the thing that I love about Dane, I've known Dane. A very long time, Jason. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that like I'm dropping a name because I already said his name. And I have to say his name. Mm -hmm. I say it because he's really a great guy. I mean, anyone can think whatever they want this way or that way about a human being. Dane is unequivocally one of the better people I know in the world and one of the best people I know in show business. That's, that's what I'm going to say. That's high praise. And it's not bullshit. I mean, this is a guy who always shows up. And I think that's the thing. And if you look at his career, it's a guy who always shows up, whether it was for his fans on MySpace, whether it was in Boston or whether it was in New York. This is a fucking guy who was not going to not ever show. This was always showing up. And it's like Dave Matthews. He's the Dave Matthews band of comedy. I always think of Dave Matthews band as the the, the band that, um, and this is going to get cut because I'm going to say yeah, it. <laughs> Um, what is it? As Dave Matthews Band, um, as the uh, the name of the band that most women are listening to in the '90s when they're getting date raped by a by a college fraternity boy. So I, when everybody goes, I'm going to the, D the yeah Dave after Ma the Dan yeah. Cook show. Yeah, it's the drug DMB, right? <laughs> they've been they've been seduced by they oh they were high on DMB at the time, so they didn't know what they were doing. So when I worked at the Sunset Marquee at the Whiskey Bar, in 1999, I ran the door there, and. Dave Matthews was a regular. He stayed at the Sunset Marquee all the time when they were on tour. Mm -hmm. His alias that he stayed under was Stinky Pinky. <laughs> I, I understand. It's a true understand. story. I, you know, and and, and, and I want to say this: if this does Please. stay in the, if this does stay in there. Please. I don't have a problem with the Dave Matthews band. I really like the music. Me too. I have a problem mm -hmm. with the people who listen. Yeah, it's the hacky sackers. It's <laughs> yeah. these, it's these patchouli oil motherfuckers yeah. that are listening. And yeah. by the way, I have good friends who are Dave Matthews, but I can't. But Yep. It's a thing it's where a I'm thing. like, it's, like, yeah, it's, it's like, a little mark <laughs> against is. you. I'm sorry, Adam and my other friends who are Dave Matthews fans, but I'm not going to act like it's not a little weird. It's a little weird. Yeah, it's a little like, uh, you know, uh, Rick. Yeah, it is. Or more, it's not Morty, it's Rick. Rick, yeah, yeah. it is. It's, it's definitely a little like, Rickish. Oh, look, I got an acoustic guitar right here. Oh, satellite? <laughs> got it. This is what I'm saying. It's a little, it's, it's. It's okay. All so right. We're gonna but move we on. So yes, we digress. This is a thing but, we will do. So know, yeah. go ahead. I was just gonna say I I agree with you on Dane. Like I d I don't know him, mm -hmm. um, but 
the first time I ever went and saw stand up in LA, mm -hmm. he, he came in to do a little like drop in set and he stayed and he really just like, he brought it. It didn't feel like he was just kind of right. bringing it on a Tuesday, <laughs> like for the second show, like just reading <laughs> off the cards. I've been there for comedians that are like basically just looking on the, through the flip book, but he, right. he was doing the same thing. He was testing his material, but he was also like really giving it mm -hmm. to the audience. He wasn't just sitting there like passively kind of seeing how things were work, really playing with it. It felt really fun and like we were part of something special even though that's part you know after you learn a little bit more that you know that that's just kind of what people are doing when they're testing out stuff it was yeah. always great and uh all in all in right. all in every 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 single stand-up show and that was part of the reason i think we were real drawn to it speaking of you know college and stuff is um me and my friends really listened to a lot of his albums and 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 a lot of his stuff and and you know did what kids do repeat all the stuff yes because it was funny and there was a lot of energy to it and that's that's something i connected with a lot is that that you know it's it's great a great story is better delivered with somebody who's excited to tell it yes but it's also what you do with great comedians george carlin the seven things you can't say on tv mm -hmm. uh, andrew dice clay insert joke here you know i mean it, it, it's the the great these kind of richard pryor i mean any set i can i i just can't say anything richard pryor said because it's yeah. kind of holy yeah. and i'm not going to even fuck with it but i'm saying steve martin right. you can insert you know wild and crazy whatever it is you can say there's a thing i'm going to repeat it people walk around saying it and it becomes a thing mm -hmm. and that is i think a part of great comedy yep it's like with the dave matthew band you're talking about it whether you, again, I, I can't even say people don't like it, but there's always people who are critics, right? right. So even with the Dave Matthews Band, right, or the Grateful Dead, who's like the Dave Matthews Band was kind of like taking over that, and then Fish came in. Yep. But even with that, like the Dead, I don't like the Grateful Dead. I don't like the music. Mm -hmm. I'm just not a Deadhead mm -hmm. at all. I like, I kind of like hits. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I feel. But like I do like structure. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with jazz, but I like structure to a degree. But there's no way I don't respect the shit out of the Grateful Dead and go, they are doing something that, and always have, same with Dave Matthews, that um, maybe even if I don't get it, it's still brilliant and out there and, mm -hmm. and whatever. Absolutely. So I think with the people like the ones mentioned, and I believe Dane is in this category of people who love it, hate it. I don't think there's anyone who's like, Dane's okay. No. I think you love Dane or you fucking hate Dane. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, I'm, and I think that he's okay with that. Yeah, and I, I, you know, listen, I, I guess maybe I'm too infused. I don't know that many haters. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I, I, you know, but I, I have to imagine they're out there because when you have that much love, there's got to be the equivalent of. Yeah. Right. I wish yeah. that wasn't the case, though. Well, I think that I think it's always a it's always a struggle with people who come in from a slightly different angle. I I consider. Dan Cook, a great comedian, yep. not not a, not just a great storyteller, but he is a great storyteller. But I'm going to stop you right there on purpose because I don't want to forget this. This is why. I don't just consider Dane Cook a comedian, a stand-up. I consider Dane, he's a renaissance guy. I mean, yep. he's got this short, this thing he just wrote and directed, mm -hmm. the American Typecast, which is, we'll talk about, which is unbelievable. And uh, I don't know if I can say this, but up for Academy, I think I can, right? Up for Academy Award nomination uh, right now. It's in the final, like, 25 I mean, that's not small. That didn't just happen. Yeah. He co-wrote it with this guy, Mo, who's the star of it. And he's done that. He's done stand-up. He's co-starred with Kevin Costner. I mean, it's like he's sold out Madison Square Garden. He's made albums. He's done improv. So really, where do you place a guy like that? And I think that's what I like about most of my guests is that they're renaissance people. Mm -hmm. They really are these multi-hyphenates who are not just going to sit around and say, I'm just going to do this one thing. There's a new... 
world now, I believe. And I believe anybody could be anything. There's no reality TV or right. a movie star. There's just famous influence and a platform. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do with it? I mean, I could not be more excited on this first episode, which will be a two-parter for you people out there. This is the premiere episode featuring our multi-hyphenate guest, ladies and gentlemen, a renaissance person, uh, someone who I am a huge fan of as an artist, as a stand-up, as an actor, as a human being. And I'm honored to call him a friend and to have him here today. And ladies and gentlemen, it is Dane Cook. I'd rather just start. So here we are at this table sitting here today at Starburns Audio with, ladies and gentlemen, one of my favorite people, favorite artists, a multi, multi, multi hyphenate. Really, no, it's true. Is is stand up comedy, is acting, is directing, is writing, is I mean, you know, it, it's Dane Cook, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I was like, wait, is this me? Yes. <laughs> I was like, who else is coming in here? Yes. Like, I don't know this guy over here. I, yeah, yeah, I was no, waiting I'm... for, he's still got his hair. <laughs> he's in the best shape of his month. <laughs> well, I didn't want to, you know, yes, it's all true, I, by the way. It's an embarrassment of riches, yes. Cliff. Thank you for having me in here and saying those very nice fucking things. Can we swear? I should have asked that. Yes. Oh, yes. Is swear that legal? Okay, all you cool. fucking want. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, my CEO and intern, Jason. Hello. Jason, Jason gets no intro. Yeah, no, Jason. Jason. The, I'm the CEO and intern. Yeah, he's the CEO. By the way, that's Jason is... That's multi-hyphenate, okay. technically. Yeah. Yes, he multi-hyphenate. He runs Starburns Audio. It was more multi-commod. Yeah. He, he gave me my deal, and now he's working for me. This is how my life goes. I'm, listen, I'm not, gonna, I'm not uh, here to mediate anything, no, all no, right? No, don't mediate. Just join in. I just, Jason I'm is the best. I'm mostly just here to Google things when you need me yes, to. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, cool. Jason, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Jason. Thank you. Yeah, well, and thanks for the deal, too. I appreciate it. No problem. No, no, no problem. Really nice. Can I get you water or uh, chips? Uh, anything? I think just so you know, the table is set. We have Coke Zero, which now. Do you have any scented candles, Jason? Could you maybe run down to the Rite Aid and grab a couple of vanilla mists? Do you want a Jesus or a Mary on either of those? <laughs> either, either. <laughs> you know the the scent name. That's a that's 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 a thing. I'm a candle guy. I mean. Do you go? Do they sell them at Rite Aid? Marshmallow Fireplace is the best candle you can buy right now. Oh, that sounds. It's like at Bed Bath and Beyond, and it will it will illuminate. Uh, 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 physically and mentally, it's an unbelievable pungent scent. That fireplace. Jason, we write that down. Yep. Marshmallow, yeah. marshmallow, no, marshmallow, marshmallow fireside. Sorry. Fireside. Yeah. There's a picture of a fireplace on the label. They also are selling. Just so you guys know, I mean, marshmallow fireplace sounds perfect. But, yes. Um, KFC Yule logs. Right <laughs> I heard that. Yes. <laughs> Wait, what is that? KFC Yule logs. So. You put them in your fireplace, and the whole house just smells like, uh, I'm hoping, original recipe. Oh, my God. Yeah. Really? And li with a little bit of mashed potatoes on the side. It actually smells like a KFC that hasn't been mopped in about a month and a half. <laughs> I just think I could let my dogs chew on something and leave it out in the room, and it would probably smell the exact same way. I'm a candle guy, and I'm a, um, uh, an uh, ambiance guy. Like I like to play ocean waves in the house, or I, get, I like to get really? zen. Really? Yeah, sometimes I'll pop in my um, chicken sandwich at uh, Popeye's uh, day one opening. Uh, fight mix? Audio track fight mix. <laughs> no, no, I really, I love. Have you eaten that sandwich? It's, I had it, I, I don't want to be the downer. Uh, it could, was good, but it wasn't. It was fine. I could be the downer. Yeah. Not impressed. Not <laughs> it impressed. It was okay. I, I'll go with Chick-fil-A. Yeah. It was okay. I, I think, I, I think, yeah, Chick-fil-A, definitely I'd better. I'd throw a slap for it, but not a punch, you know? Uh, yeah, <laughs> Jason. I like that. All right, so wait. Let me let me let me bring this down a moment okay. because I'm very excited that that you're here. That being said, I want to stay to my usual 
thing. Okay, I'm going to let you do it. So Go ahead, man. Let's start things. So you were born. <laughs> I was born. Yes, and you came into this world, and you are basically, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm from, I'm Long Island, so I'm Bridge and Tunnel. Sure. And you're a masshole. Yeah. Right? Ex- yeah, expressway guy. Cambridge? Yeah, uh, born in Cambridge, raised next door, Arlington. Okay, and you have four sisters? I have five sisters from my dad's and mom's previous marriage, but one, I don't know, I hate saying it, but like full full sister. My younger sister and I are like the two that are like this. That's And her name is? Courtney. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's who we've been... That's right. right. Yeah. She's very nice. Courtney is like my right arm. She's worked with me and helps keep me on course when I'm spinning all over the place. But more importantly, yeah. they've been with you since you are... A, a, a bean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is it. So this there's is... no Dane, famous Dane. There's oh. no Dane. <laughs> there still isn't Dane. to them. <laughs> Where you. is that guy? Right. You don't get any respect for this, right? It's uh, like, yeah, fuck you, Dane. Yeah, like, I didn't even know if there's famous Dane anywhere, but every once in a while I like to believe that I'm getting a table faster because of something that I've done. I think you do. I think you do get a table faster. You know what? Maybe. I've gotten a free slice of pizza or two over the years where they, they hand me the slice and then I go, I go, no, how much? And they go, nah, nah, nah. And I'm like, ooh, membership has its privileges. <laughs> okay, wait. But this is the thing. You're still Dane, successful Dane. So now, let me just say this. When you go to Dane's house, I haven't been in a while, but I do remember yep. your refrigerator. This is how you really know if someone's doing well. How many drinks, different types of drinks. You'd have like yep. five or six different types of drinks lined up. I have a drink fridge. Yes. yes. You have a separate fridge for drinks. So does our cat. That's how I know someone's doing really well. <laughs> Drink fridge that's, that's in the same kitchen. Yes, that's oh. just there well, that's for you. In the same kitchen, yes, I was gonna say, go out to my garage. There's a drink fridge, which Mm-mm. is also like an old Mm-mm. meat fridge. If, if you hashtag refrigerator wars, <laughs> ma- mine's probably gonna come up because I try to do that every year. Really? I say, what's your fridge look like? Hashtag refrigerator wars, and then I show a picture of mine all stocked up with the latest and greatest. Okay, so they now do they make fun of you for that? They, they're there. They're of course, the life. I make they... fun of me for that. Okay, good. But I used to work at a convenience store when I was 16 at a place called White Hen Pantry, which was back on the East Coast. It was a New England 7-Eleven. White, White Hen Pantry. White Hen Pantry. Close it's no longer, it's now defunct, but uh, you that- You slicing that, meat? Uh, no, it was, I was like just a counter guy. I was, you know, s- you know, selling lottery tickets and, you know, whatever, perishables, non-perishables. But I used to have to go to the <laughs> fridges and the manager, Mr. Casbian, would say, you have to marry the labels, which means get in there and turn all the labels forward so that the names on each label is facing out. It looks prettier. It's more aesthetically pleasing. Mm. And weirdly, it played into my OCD to where, to this day... I have to have a fridge, and I still, like that 16-year-old kid, have to marry all the labels so they're face out. See, and so it's a familiarity that like just feels good to have that. And this is why I ask these questions. Because <laughs> as I'm watching you tell the story, and you can't see this, but Dane is so focused, facing forward, and he's moving his hands. I'm so seeing he's twisting. it. twisting. Yes, he's seeing it as it's happening. So I'm watching him from behind, twisting these cans yes. toward him. And it goes right into... This is why you're doing this. And this is why you have this thing that to this day, which I love about you, you just are like a kid in a candy shop. You fucking love this. I definitely f- have always held on to this idea of um, living vicariously through things that I found in my youth. And that means bringing that into business, bringing it into performance, certainly. Mm-hmm. Conversations like this. I I would be lying if I didn't say I, I try to find a little bit of a Willy Wonka moment in whatever it is that I'm doing. Because mm-hmm. life is hard. Right. There's a lot of pain. I've been through traumas like everybody else. And yep. so my my uh, way that I like to perceive them and, 
and um, and kind of regurgitate them is to put humor into them and to put you know uh, something memorable into those moments, which is why you catch me doing that from time to time where I'm staring straight ahead like I'm just like becoming somebody else for a second. It's part of the routine. I don't think it's from time to time. I think this is how you are. And sure. I think it's been since I've known you, and, and I think it's something that is really a testament to why you are where you are. It's not just this random piece of luck. You know, it's one thing if you say someone did something great once and then it happened and now they're gone. Sure. It's another thing when someone comes and they do, come on, that doesn't, let's not break that up. <laughs> <laughs> Mackenzie, do you have the audio on that? Let's just make sure that is not how that sounds. Sorry. So it's another thing when someone, you know, gets into the game and they do, you know, this and they're like, okay, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian, which is not how you initially thought you were going to start, right? Right. Did you say I'm going to be an actor? Well, I loved theater. I was okay. doing a lot of theater in high school, and I loved school? Sketch Arlington High School. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was there uh, where I got to know my my mentor uh, and uh, a dear dear friend who sadly uh, passed away some years ago. Frank Roberts was my drama teacher and, and everything else. Just a a, a pivotal mentor person that I would need in my life and through him and with him we would do um, plays and we would break down scenes and we would talk about symbolism and we were t- and I was fascinated with the whole building of something even more than just straight stand-up or uh, sketch which I was right. a little more drawn to mm-hmm. I think I thought I was going to do more sketch comedy because I love Saturday Night Live and SCTV right um, oh, but SCTV. I discovered yeah I, Levy, oh man Candy. Martin Short you know I mean, 1.30 a.m. on like did you watch this shit I mean yeah. it was the best He's so impressed. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Seen, Eugene Levy was funny once. Yeah, I guess it was all right. I mean, thanks for that, Jason. I was trying to figure out somebody else to add. I was like, I can't think of another person on that show. Who, oh, was, who wasn't funny on that show? Everybody, really? really? Everybody who stepped up to that uh, table, I felt like, much like growing up with an SNL, you know, the Billy Crystal years and Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. I just, I think what I responded to more than anything else was... Um, being a part of a community. Mm. Uh, I think I was looking for that place for myself. Where do right. I fit in? And I, th- I, th- I thought I was a bit of an oddball. I thought I had a different approach on things. And so theater and yeah, I knew I'd be in the arts in some right. way. But did you not find yourself fitting in at home? Like with your sisters and your brother and your mom and dad? And like, were you not feeling that you were finding the click? I felt like I had an amazing synergy uh, with my mom. Uh, I had a friendship with my dad. He was alcoholic. That was tough because you never really knew who was coming in the door. A lot of secret keeping. Um, a lot of secret keeping. And then just that thrill of when he was healthy and that uh, fear of if he wasn't, you know. Well, the shoes f- going to drop. Exactly. So Constantly th- that around. turmoil uh, pushed me into a position where I had a lot of action figures. I had this whole world in my basement of. Who'd you have? I had Star Wars and G.I. Joe that I like kind of mashed up and they would fight wars together. I also I had, had a couple of my sister's Barbies that were like Amazon women that would come into the into the scene. So you had taller. But, it, right? Ridiculous. <laughs> yes, but now that's If you go into a battle, you want G.I. Joe, you want Star Wars, you yes. want a giant woman. Yes, 100%. And I had Evil Knievel. In tights. Too. In Evil Knievel yes. with the motorcycle that you would the wind uh, up. You would the wind it up. up I had that yes. as well. Okay, so you had your So I, I disappeared into this world of make-believe mm-hmm. and as I got a little bit older, I found that was my comfort zone. You know, being uh, being around people playing pretend was a great way to deal with uh, fear, trauma, and also not having to maybe so much uh, focus on the weakness I had inside of me, but that's a place that embraces what are the strengths that you bring to the play right. or whatever. 
years later, I would learn, oh, it's even better when you do work on the weaknesses that are inside. Yes. But for a number of years, that was just my ammo right there is just perform and, and make believe and, uh, and entertain. Well, it's one of the things I find with all my guests. It's a very common thread is this person, usually around junior high or high school, who comes in and it becomes a mentor and says, like with Arquette, it was high school at uh, Hollywood Hot, you know, and it, sure. you know this this uh, drama teacher at fifteen who put him in a play. Yeah. It's it's this. What was his name again? I want to Frank say Roberts. Frank Roberts. That's a great name, by the way. Yeah. Frank Roberts. Sounds like he'd have a really deep voice. <laughs> he did. <laughs> <laughs> he really did. I know. Frank Roberts, and this is the news. So, with Frank. He, again, came in with all these feelings and thoughts you were having of, you know, trying to find acceptance in these magical worlds you're building. And I, I did the same exact thing. Yeah. Now this person comes in, Frank Roberts, and says, you know what? Here's a way for you to do it, right? Oh, yeah. That's to the first kind to of take the loneliness of doing this uh, imagination building in your basement and now to do it with a group of people that are probably just like you, uh, feeling solitude. Yes. And this is where we come together and we we create something out of nothing. And experiment with all those feelings that we're having. Yeah. And by the way, just talking about this now and, and what it uh, brings up for me is mm -hmm. it's such an unbelievable first step when you finally start to collaborate with people that are mm -hmm. like-minded. It is so fucking the... the, the the, the visceral the reaction yes. that I kind of miss, even though I still get it when I'm starting projects, but it, right. it's later down the years of it's also business and there's a mortgage and there's other things against you. But back mm. then, just being a lonely kid and going, hey, do you want to make something? And then being on a, 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 a theater stage and then yeah. there's people. And they're, they're saying you're good. And they're like, holy shit. That, and you're like, wait they're a applauding. minute, you just talk to me? You Amazing. just said a fucking word. A to girl me. likes me. Yes, I my just... penis gets touched at some point. Yes, I was in a broom by myself, closet probably. With a vagina <laughs> that was not, you know, that was willing. And you know the I'm, yes. And then I got invited. I remember the first time I got invited to like a drama party after like uh, we did the Diary of Anne Frank. I think it was like just yeah. that feeling that you're talking about, where it's like Richard Werner invited me to the party, and it was like. This guy also wanted to be an actor, sidebar. Yeah. And then years later, like we were the two actors in like junior high and high school. It worked out for me, not at all. But he, <laughs> I'm thrilled. I could not have ended up being an actor. I'm so happy I'm where I'm at. But Are we still on sidebar or are we back in jury? I'm almost okay. done. All right. Richard Werner, he's junior high, high school, the actor kid. I don't see him for 10, 15 years. I get an episode of Baywatch Nights. And who's my cohort? Richard Werner. Great. Cast in the same role. Oh, wow. David Hasselhoff. Wow. And the sidebar is over. <laughs> Moving back. Permission to speak freely, Your yes, Honor? please. Well, that's crazy. Dave that's that's where it's all serendipitous and wild and weird. And, and, and yes. cool. We get to sit here and we talk. We go way back. We've yes. Our paths have crossed. We've broken bread, talked art, talked yes. creation. And uh, and it's great to just be able to, to know that on the daily, somebody could reach out and say, hey, I have something from nothing that I'd like to create. And I think you can help me to do that. And that's where I'm that's where I'm like at my go-getter mode. And also, you know, and this is something that I think is is really overlooked a lot, but it's like the people who do say yes like yourself. Like when I reach out and I say I'm doing something, you know, this is the thing and Dane comes and and does it. You know, like it, the excitement works on both levels. It's like, okay, so now you're helping me build this fucking thing that I've been trying to build for a while, you know? And it's like sure. that's pretty great. How do you feel about that, Jason? I I mean, that's <laughs> the whole point of me getting into this stuff too. Like I I Grew up in uh, Reno, Nevada, and I'm sorry. Yes, and I think the only two Brian the Dean. most famous people that ever came out Motive. of Reno, Nevada, both were um, played the same character in Twin Peaks. <laughs> like <laughs> at different times, like one in the movie and one in the yeah. Who? 
the 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 girl who like was married to the abusive uh, Canadian guy. Um, I'm trying to think of the name. All Not Sherilyn Finn. Finn. Not Sherilyn Finn. No. But uh, they both played the same okay. character, the, the yeah. blonde girl, and she's she was in the re, the upgrade, updated one. She worked at the diner. Right. She wor- I, know I know exactly who you're talking, who you're talking about. <laughs> I know you're talking about. <laughs> but, yeah, so Will that, you look that up, please, Jason? Yeah, that's I'm, right. I'm on. Look I'll up on your own story. Let's shout her out. Yes, please. I want to shout her out. But in general, nobody like I looked it up. Like there's nobody that comes out of there's like a few relief pitchers and probably some like WCW jobbers that came out of Reno, but nobody ever really did. Out of my high school, Olympia Dukakis came out of Arlington High School. Out of my high school, Amy Fisher. Okay. Oh, wow. And Debbie Gibson. Oh. I don't even get one of those. Electric like, Youth came out of your high school? And Lindsay oh, Lohan. my God. <laughs> the most famous person I can think of from Reno's Mills Lane, who was the boxing judge yes. for um, the Mike Tyson fight. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But that's about it. it. So, right. So, I didn't think I could make anything of myself. And, like, it, that just didn't seem like an avenue here. And then yeah. getting here and actually starting to work with people and realizing that there's collaboration and there's actually ways to do this. And it sure. doesn't mean you have to be the. The star of something you can you can yes. collaborate with great comedians doing sketch improv all that stuff yeah it's like yes. such an eye opener for me and I was I was actually really mad at myself that I didn't move here like ten years before I really well did. you learn something when you come here which is there's a lot of people who think they're gonna come here and if they just wear a cool shirt they're gonna fucking make it and that they're owed something <laughs> and then you find a few people that are actually roll up your sleeve you know hustler willing to also i always respect people that are willing to quickly admit what they are not good at mm-hmm. and where they need to fill in a gap i'm good at that i'll say okay i know i can get a and b done but do we know this person who can come in and you know fulfill uh, the the lighting or you know, and so i love that you can come here and it's not i i'm not trying to downplay it cuz it's a tricky town but it's um it's easier to just sit around and and kind of like let it all overwhelm you than it is to get up, start uh, collaborating with other people, and yeah. actually, you know, putting putting things together. Then you're here doing it. Right. It's more possible than I think people allow themselves to think uh, out here. I, listen, I, I watched it with you, and we're going to get to this place in our conversation. But you know, it's a reason that. And again, I'm not really you know me a long time. I'm not really a gusher, but it's a reason that you are an inspiration to me. And there's, there's several, but one of them is because I watched you from really just taking an idea and saying I'm going to now take this and turn it into with your web page sure get there and turn it into a well you were here during the turn when it all yes. you know yeah a lot of years of unknown became but we're going to 98 and then you know <laughs> the century. Yeah, we're going to oh, 2000 shit, yeah no I got you all worked up yeah. Quick Quick yes Machen Amic Machen Amic okay yes I love her yeah. she's I from Sparks yes. that's okay. where I'm from Sparks yep. Nevada Sparks Nevada yep that's that's yeah. a show. Yeah, that's a <laughs> fucking show. Yeah, Sparks Nevada. Sparks that's Nevada. a show. Sparks let's, Nevada. Let's talk about that Not later. Just a mobile home party. <laughs> okay, there are yeah, regular homes there too. Really? <laughs> mostly, <laughs> mostly mobile, but still. Yes. Not, Google right. that. <laughs> Prove yeah. that. Let's get a picture up on the screen of, of uh, just like, any shot. One of house in Sparks. Yes, any. And by the way, can Without we? Wheels. Can we? Uh, what is it? Spookio? How much a, a, a house costs in Sparks? Oh, it's like it's like eighty-seven thousand dollars for a decent size house. That's fucking. Aw- you can just go somewhere, get a house, and that's it. You're you know good. how many drink fridges I could probably have if I moved to Sparks? Yes, I could have a whole convenience store aisle. You could actually build a town. <laughs> yeah, like, basically. I, yeah, I've seen this happen. Okay, I digress. So, what I liked about what we were just talking about, I like everything, but what I like about this is we're saying that you find this moment in school now where someone says take all this thing and put it over here so now you start doing these plays and creating characters right and, and does something happen like what what's the next step for you are you saying okay i'm gonna go do this for a living or is it still a few beats well i was doing the theater stuff and i was also dealing with being a 
uh, an introvert, which was really tricky. I had a lot of anxiety, social anxiety. Um, and so even though I felt a comfortability on stage, I still didn't have this where we could just sit and I could feel, um, like I could be an equal with you and right. have a, a it, it was a lot of years of fear, fear based, um, and yet I loved performing. So I was like, I'll work through that fear if I can get onto the stage and play the character or sing the song or do whatever it was. Right. Um, but I had a lot to work out. And where that started to unravel in a good way was stand-up. Because stand-up is the scariest thing on earth. So what makes you take the jump? Because that's yeah. you're doing plays in high school. Yep. And, and I had a best friend. And I, he's still my best buddy. His name's Al Dalbeni. And Al lives in Australia now with his wife and family. But we were in junior high school together. So my best friend from 14 to now... Uh, we're sitting in drama class one day, and he said something to the effect of, "What are your, what do you want to do after high school? Do you, th- do you think?" And drama I said, "Well, class. I'm not going to college. I already knew. I told my parents in eighth grade." In fourteen, fourteen years old, you're saying, "I'm not going to college." I, I knew. I just knew. I said, "Listen, it's it's that that scene, that uh, that need for you know whatever it is to go and party. Like that wasn't me, and I knew it. Okay. I said, "So hate to break it to you." I'm, I'm not going to go to college. And they were asking what I'm going to do. And then Al asked me, what are you going to do? And I said, for the first time ever, well, I want to be on Saturday Night Live. And immediately he said, I want to be on Saturday Night Live. And we both realized that we'd had the same epiphany wow. in uh, junior high school. What happens next is we start talking about, well, how can we start to do that? He goes to Bunker Hill Community College in Boston. He calls me a year after we graduate. He says, I'm in a comedy group at Bunker Hill. And one guy quit. Do you want to come be a part of our comedy group? He goes, the cool thing is we do the comedy group, but we also do a little stand-up and we open for our own comedy group. So now I'm in a comedy sketch group. But had you done stand-up I'd still not done stand-up. You had never gone up. I still hadn't gone up and we were rehearsing and we were doing in front of each other, you know, just kind of laughing in front of three people. And then I went to Catch Rising Star in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I signed up for the open mic and that's where it all started. First time. I mean, Jason, you look like you wanted to say no, something. No, I'm, I'm I terrified see. of it. So, like, I, I, I went, um, I when I decided I was going to try and do comedy at all, I was like, all right, I want to be a stand-up. And then I like started writing and doing it. I was like, yeah. this is way scary. You have to, not only do you have to be up there, you have to write it. And so now it's really personal. And I was like, I'll just do improv. Because at least if I fuck up, it's like, oh, that's just off the top of my head. It yes. doesn't matter as much. But I was real. I'm still really intimidated. I'm working on it. I'm working on trying to go up just to, out of that's. Yeah, well, amazing. when I finally went up, and what broke it was, I'd signed up for the open mic, and the way they used to do it at this place was you signed up, and then you went back the following week to see if you'd get potluck picked. And the reason they did that was so you'd bring some people. That way, there was people watching, but you may not get picked, but there's people watching the other comics. Right, right. That was their kind of you know yeah, the, the, their that. rigmarole. Right. So. I went, I didn't sign up, I just went to watch, and I was still so terrified in my own body of my own confidence or whatever ability that I was just there to watch. But even though you'd been on stage, you'd done characters with written words. I'd been in a sketch group in front of a few people, but Mm. I'd still not been in front of, except for the plays, in front of a thousand people in my hometown with a bunch of people, never alone on stage, ever, ever. And I was sitting there, and the host went up, and the third name of that night the host went, okay, let me look at my list. And he would do a fake intro for a person he didn't know. He'd go, okay, we're going to bring this girl up out of there and give a fake intro. And then my fake intro was, he said, and I wasn't set to go up. I was just watching. He said, where is, uh, he, he looked out and he goes, um, he goes, where's Ernest Glenn? Ernest Glenn, where are you at? And within a few seconds, I knew Ernest Glenn didn't show. I knew whoever Ernest Glenn was, he signed up, but he couldn't make it or he you know, bailed or he was saying nothing. Mm-hmm. So I put my hand up. And he pointed down and he said, you're Ernest Glenn? And I said, yes. 
And he's, my intro was, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you know him all the way from the fifth row, Ernest Glenn. <laughs> and that was my first time ever standing on stage. I went up. I had a few ideas for jokes that I'd written. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember one joke in, in particular that ended up being on my first album about how uh, a speak and spell sounds like the devil, that electric <laughs> speak and spell that I grew up with. And I did the voice and I acted it out and, and I had this whole, A-E-I-O-U, and I did this whole thing. <laughs> And it got laughs. And I remember at the first end of my first time, laughs. first time up, I got a couple laughs. I got a couple not, you know, no laughs. Uh, but when I left, the the moment I stepped off stage, I remember feeling my head cool down. I remember feeling the heat and the enthusiasm as it was exiting me, and it was turning into just something real, like something that I understood what I just did. I knew I was going to do it for the rest of my life. Right then. Right. Who right was then. with you? Nobody. You were alone. I, I went by myself. And you walked off stage alone. And I walked off stage alone, and I walked outside and took a... It was winter. I remember taking this big, deep you know, breath and, and knowing I've never felt more present and loved myself more for doing something than in that moment. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. that really is And I And I incredible. didn't realize also until that moment that, I, that um, I didn't really like myself at all, that I had a real deep self-loathing that, that was even more apparent once I did this and realized... How important I actually did feel. It, it was. It was. You're getting the validation from people you have no idea who they are. That was so important to you. You realize shit's wrong. It. It was. Um, it was the most unbelievable merging of. What a dichotomy uh, of a moment. Yes, like, like I, I have a voice. I'm someone, but I'm I have been living already at this young life with so much um, self hatred mm-hmm. and loathing. I thought I was ugly. I thought I was uh, just unimportant. I had, uh, it took years to learn. I have major fear of abandonment issues. Adopted, yeah, right here. The second you guys would leave the room back years back, I'd start to think, I don't think they really liked me. I Mm. think they hated me. I don't think they ever want to talk to me again. I I, I think that they've already forgotten about me. And this this was my sister. Yeah, this was me, man, for a lot of years. I was obsessed if I missed any sort of party or hangout or. You had FOMO. Yeah, it was more than FOMO. It was like if I wasn't there. They, I was forgotten, and that it was yeah. less about missing out and more about being your voice being gone. Uh, gone. Yeah, and almost like needing to go, not so much for the enjoyment of going, but I have to just make sure they remember that I'm exactly. That's exactly it, the, it. heavy stuff, man. Heavy, but yeah, stand up. Stand up was my um, stand up taught me how to be a person in life. Everything I learned on stage, things that came to me very naturally on stage that I felt like I just had the ability to do, um, even beyond my own expectations, I then implemented that into life. And that's how I became a more present person, an engaging person, and uh, something that we know being East Coast guys, mm-hmm. sorry, Chase, yeah, yeah. was Sparks. being an assertive fucking individual. Yeah. And and I know you, and we don't, we're not yes. like, we don't hang all the time, but I do know something about you, which is like, you're no bullshit. No. And you cut right to it. And I do too. Gets None. us in trouble. Yeah. Sometimes people don't like it. Sometimes we lose people yep. in our life and they'll come years later and go, oh, you're right, but I didn't like the way you said it. Or yep. uh, I learned how to normal. be that guy. Yeah, for me. And I, I did too. And I think, you know, this town is not, you know, again, conducive necessarily to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're being nice already. I, I know where you're going. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying. Uh, not, this town is not. Uh, <laughs> it's resistant to yeah. hearing uh, <laughs> the Schadenfreude in this town. Is the Schadenfreude? I'm sorry. In this fucking town is really. I mean, come on. It's like uh, it literally 
is like, you know, you have a Super Bowl party or you have a party to watch a friend's show and root that it sucks. Right. Yes, this town is not conducive to, to really any sort of good, natural feeling. So you are in this position. How old are you at this point? Forty. Oh, no, back then? No, back then. Oh, man. At that moment, uh, that night. 19? 19 years old. Yeah. You have no family there. You have no friends there. Yep. You have this moment that's completely now devoid of, of anything real and as real as it can possibly be. Sure. Like, everything's real when I'm on stage. If I'm not on stage, this is going to suck. Is that right. kind of... I was a million miles away from who I wanted to be, and stand-up showed me that. Because it, it, stand-up is so in the moment. The timing. Everything about stand-up has to happen in that in that seven minutes or whatever it was at that point. Whereas in my life, I was afraid to approach a girl. I was afraid to... Um, Come to you with something. I uh, maybe you didn't treat me right. I couldn't stand up for myself. Everything was always ruminating and not really getting anything done. And who told you first that you sucked? You know, like was it me? No one told you first. You told yourself first. Well, I I was hard on myself, and then it was also with this strange kind of essence that I had about me, which was I just wasn't included. I wasn't uh, beat up or bullied or teased. I was just left out of everything. Yeah, but that, I believe in knowing you that's you choosing to isolate. I believe that's how strong your energy is. You, if you choose to isolate, no one's going to pick you for anything. I think you can put your shield up. I've, I've seen it. I think now, with you saying that, it, it's it's clear. But at that time, you no, just feel you just feel like, well, I'm standing here. I want to play too. Right. But what is it about me? And I, I Man, I would go home a lot of days, and not to make this modeling, but I would, I'd cry and say, Mom, wh- why do people hate me? Why do, why do people not want to include me? And her whole deal was like, and it was so feeding into stand-up. What was fascinating was she was like, be an individual. Be the person who invites them and make them feel invited. Be the person. And she was already teaching me to be at the helm. And I really think without her championing me, I wouldn't have done stand-up. So with her and Frank Roberts, it was the perfect storm. Of, and with my dad, right. through his alcoholism and through even his, the way he he would behave was to say, um, I would say, Dad, I'm going to build this cool fort. I have an idea. I always had this idea for a new kind of. This fort's going to have two layers, and I'm going to have a rope thing. And I'm going to. And he'd stop me. He and he would literally go to the door. He'd open the front door. He'd look out, and he'd turn and go. I don't see it. <laughs> I don't wow. see wood. I don't see a ladder. I don't fucking see anything. Oh, wow. I hear you talking a lot about it, but I'm not seeing. And he'd literally open and stand on the porch and go, "Where is anything you're talking about?" So two. Two people championing, and then a dad who was like, "I don't see results. Show me yeah, results. Where are the results?" That was the. I wouldn't change it. If I time machined back, I get goosebumps, man. I wouldn't change. It's we all need sometimes that suffrage to to realize that pressure makes diamonds. I think it's why we're more devoid of true artists in a younger generation now. We're not seeing the same sort of pain and the same sort because everything is very foo foo now. Everything is very careful, and we can't offend anybody we can't you know and i'm not saying these things look i everybody has their shit i think in our generation especially mm-hmm. but it does it makes great art this this sure. doesn't happen from like you said from all nice it comes yeah. from pressurizing dogs. and then as time goes on and what we talked or about cold. before we went live was then you start to realize well the real love and relationships are actually even in the part where a diamond may or may not even fucking happen it's just in the pressure right just in the here's some coal that's let's it. all get together and fucking see what happens with this shit that's really where for me and maybe i haven't learned this till like the last five years to me those are where that's where i, I like to live i i love success we all want to monetize you know make something monetized yeah. and we all want to pay the rent and have a cool fridge with fucking drinks in it Fuck and, yeah. and 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 i feel grateful 
to be able to have the ability to do that. And yet, uh, that doesn't feed me. What feeds me is a new person that I'm kind of getting to know who says, I have an idea for something. I wonder if we can get it done. And I go, oh, I don't know how to do that, but I know how to do this. And I'll make a phone call. Right. And then you see it starting to get whipped up. And it's like, woo! Now we're off to the races. And by the way, you met Al, right? Al? Yeah. In 14 years old, mm-hmm. drama class. So still your best friend. Yeah. Okay, so you do this thing. Now, Catch a Rising Star. Now you know what's got to happen. So what's your next step then? What, what do you do? Uh, now you're just alone in, you're yeah. in fucking Boston. Well, it was the good thing was I had the comedy group. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in this group. There was four of us. And so we would we were getting college gigs where we'd go. names like. Al know. on the Monkeys. <laughs> I was a monkey. I was not even Al. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get a choice in that, by the way. But um, so we we're, were just playing college gigs all around New England. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were college age. So to go in and have buffoonery at colleges and make a couple of bucks and we play music and just basically just riff, mm-hmm. sketch, improv, play improv games, freeze tag and all the, you know, kind of standards. Um, but doing that, we were also doing stand up. So it was so kind of still going back and forth. It was going up in different places yeah, around Boston, going up in different places, doing open mics, um, starting to get to know some of the, uh, the, the legends of the Boston comedy scene that, uh, well, there are guys like, uh, Steve Sweeney and Don Gavin and Kevin Knox. And these are guys that maybe never made it like uh, national, but were huge in that new England area. Mm-hmm. And of course they stayed there because what they were making in the eighties financially was like huge. Unbelievable. It's like George Wallace at Catch a Rising Star in Manhattan. When I, yeah. That's my age. But that yeah. was, you know, he didn't really go international. Right. Know, but he was, you know, he had 90 gold chains and like you were like, that guy's yeah. reeking of money. And, and, and never wasn't, and George never isn't great. Oh. I mean, on his worst night Always. where he'd be like, eh, you'd probably be like, oh my God, that was genius. Genius. Right. So, so I'm working around those guys. Right. And they're starting to get to know, uh, I remember one guy in particular, Kevin Knox, who, um, if you haven't just, listened to, are you a fan of Kevin Knox? I don't know Kevin Knox. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, I'm, 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 I, hope, I hope he's got some good stuff on there, man. But Kevin Knox was a guy that uh, probably for the first time said to me, I see you here every night. I know that this means a lot to you. I know you want it. So if anybody drops out or one of my headliners is late, you know, uh, get ready because I might need you for five minutes. And so he'd do that. He'd come up and go, so-and-so is late. You're going to go up four minutes. If he walks in, it's going to be three. So get ready to get the fuck off. And I'd be like, okay. I had to be funny in three minutes in front of 500 people, and he's putting me on the spot, and that's how I got my, you know, got my feet under me. And you bombed several times there. I, Never, I, always. I definitely had rough sets. Uh-huh. For me, I felt like where we're. It's funny because bombing. It's such a specific kind of thing, bombing. And I, and yes, I've bombed, but I think I was just so, um, I was just so buoyant and excitable at that point that even if it was maybe a bad set mm-hmm. I still had fun so it didn't feel like I didn't come off ever really beating myself up like I bombed so bad I just always came off like I did this yeah because the drug you know was what I mean? being on the stage it was that better was than you figured out the first night from your own admission right I, I kind of I really connect with a lot of what you're saying being kind of introverted but also forcing myself into those situations do you, do you, I, but I, I found myself going to sets and, and stuff and like having to push myself to just get out of the car and not turn it around and drive home and just not do it. Right. Did you ever have to deal with any of that kind of stuff? Did you ever like, oh, I just I just can't today. I just don't know. Like I'm scared. I, I like feel just too overwhelming anxiety. Yeah. I felt I drove I, driving to a lot of gigs. I definitely would be in my head about a lot of these things. And ultimately where it always fell for me and why I never turned around and I always did it was I was more afraid of being alone mm. 
I was more afraid of failing. Oh, yeah. Because I knew failure equated to, oh, man, I might be, you know, like my dad someday where it's like he missed he missed out. on. I, it's a longer other podcast story, but I knew what he missed out on. Right. I knew the void he was trying to fill. Mm-hmm. And I was determined to not have that same void in my life. So for me, I was never going to go back home and grab a beer and a cigarette and sit at the kitchen table and think about what I could have done. Right. I was going to push through it. That's so I was more fear, fearful of... Well, I think that's a, that's a really cool thing because it's like a long-term failure versus like an immediate <laughs> Right, exactly. I was investing <laughs> in long-term failure. Maybe you want suicide by the installment plan. That's my next plan. album. Right, suicide. <laughs> that, that joke long-term wins. Long-term failure. Yeah. By the way, that wins. I'm not even saying my joke. That's what, long-term failure, Dane Cook. There, but there was a lot, you know, so you're talking about four years in Boston mm-hmm. where I'm just, you know. Four um, years from when you went up that first time yeah. in Catch a Rising Star. And yeah. here's Bef- something I want to point out to you about you, okay. which I find interesting and people may not realize maybe you don't even realize it there's something so interesting in what you said because you said the first time you went on stage you realized you had to be on stage and when you got off stage you realized this is going to suck not being on stage right so the drug for you was being on stage whether or not dane bombed i'm talking to jason see if dane bombed he didn't care Mm -hmm. because he was already on stage he got his hit of heroin on stage right whereas most every other comic gets their hit of heroin from the laugh Dane got it from being on stage. So when, and performing. Right. So when you bombed, you didn't go, oh, I'm over, I'm fucking done. Right. Which is why so many comedians quit. They can't take the bombing. Very true. And that never affected you in the same way. So you didn't see things through the same reality tunnel that I think a lot of comedians that I'm friends with do. Yeah, I think, and you know a lot of comics, what, what normally happens and where I was very fortunate is i describe comedy like this if you're a comedian and you just fell to earth normally most comedians land about a thousand miles from where they actually want to be and that's the journey of who you are as a comic over that first pivotal seven to ten years Hmm. where i was fortunate was i kind of landed right in and around what i should and wanted to be at that time a kid who's in my 20s talking to my generation about partying and getting drunk and whatever sex and I was pretty close and locked in relatively quickly. And and that's where I was fortunate. I didn't have to go those thousand miles. I did kind of start in like, this is what I love. This is who I am on stage. If people don't like it, I know they're still watching me going, he's a whirling dervish up there. It looks like he's having the time of his life. A whirling dervish. Right? I mean. Yeah, why thank not? You. Thank you for that. So it was like winning people over, whether they were fans or not. 30 years in, I, I still have a lot of that same mentality. You don't have to... You don't have to subscribe to what I do, but I guarantee you're not going to leave the room without saying um, he's into it. Right. That's without something. No, you. Yeah. There's a lot of enthusiasm. Sure. You know, okay. So now you're doing stand up, you're doing your sketch. What happens? You're like, I got to go somewhere else. I got to go to LA. I got to go to New York. What's yeah. your next step? I'm in, uh, I'm in Boston and I went to New York City one night to do a. Uh, uh, my first kind of road manager booked me in the village at uh, a place called the Boston Comedy Club and the Comedy Cellar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boston Comedy Club is gone. Comedy Cellar obviously yep. is like fucking the greatest Legendary. place on earth. Um, and so that was my first time going from Boston to New York and doing, I think I was on at like 2.30 in the morning. You drive your own car? I drove my mom's 1978 Lincoln Mark V turquoise interior, turquoise exterior town car. Double turquoise. Yeah. Oh. 
Yep. That's a badass car. It had the air shocks, too. You could see the gas gauge actually just go. It was <laughs> like driving a city block. That's how big this fucking car was. You literally watch the gas gauge just moving like a fucking hand on a clock. That's a four-hour trip, too. It's not a... Yeah, with three gas stops. Yeah. <laughs> and, a, and a Sparrow fucking where stop. Where the fuck did you... Thank God it was then, because where would you park that now? <laughs> you know what? That was probably my biggest issue. I got to New York. I'm like, this is like a bus. Yeah. And that was the hardest part. I drove... A, I parked it about that. 15 blocks away. Yeah. Ran down to the club and did my first couple of spots and and knew, okay, if I can get laughs in New York, I, I understood by my friends in Boston, like, if you go to New York and, and you get laughs, then it's kind of like the pat on the back, like, okay, you can stay. You might be able to do this for a living. If you go to New York and you tank, it's 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 telling you that maybe, like, you know, local humor is your, you know, forte. Um, and I got some laughs. Yeah. Huh. And I, I learned a lot in New York over that two years that I was doing that. I learned a lot about um, where I was phony and things that uh, needed to be exercised. And you learn that, uh, thankfully, very quickly, not from just the climate and the and the people in New York, but the other comics. Quicker to say, what's that? Sh- Dude, that's fucking, come on. You need that. What is that thing you're doing? So you cut the fat and then you're off to like an actual performance piece. This is very interesting with, with the comedian aspect and the stand-up comedy aspect of it. They, You guys seem to help each other more than I see any other medium in art. Like, stand-up comics seem to always find stand-up comics. You guys are always like, if you can, you'll help each other. Like that guy, you know, Larry Knox, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Kevin. No, I'm sorry, Kevin yep. Knox. Come do this. You know, sure. you're going to be on. And and I find this more and more. It's like, oh, because you share that same thing about going up on stage and the fear or whatever it is. Right. But you have these people. And now, do you remember the comedy show? Do you, are you in awareness that this is a, a a major moment for you? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I same remember. jokes that you use. Like, had you, where had you gotten your act to at that I point? I still had four years of experience now in Boston. Maybe a funny 20 minutes and the rest of it, like, antics. <laughs> and a, and a, a lot of antics. A lot of um, improv. Uh-huh which has always been a part of my whole repertoire. There's always got to be something happening that's right now built into the performance. This is what I'm going to say, but I'm going to allow this little bit of space to play. And were I, you and that, aware that you were forming a structure? Sure. Okay. Yeah, the sandbox structure. Every This is kind of, as you have more comics on, it's always interesting to ask them what, what their structure is. And for me, the structure is there's four corners, like a sandbox, mm-hmm. and each of these corners I work on a very funny moment in the story. I'm a storyteller. I'm not a uh, set-up punch guy. I'm not a joke teller. I'm a Bob Newhart or a Early Cosby or, or Eddie Murphy. Yes. Storytelling with LPMs, laughs per minute. That's me. So I've got four, I build four, uh, you know, points, and then there's one big joke in the middle, and that's going to be the the button and or the tag right in the middle. Now, what I want to do is I want to get on stage. I'm going to hit one of the four points early, and that's going to get me into a conversation with that crowd. Give me an example of one point. Um, I, like I'm telling this story right now about uh, it's about a stalker. I have a very violent stalker woman who has threatened to kill me and has showed up at my house. And it, legitimately, I'm working with the LAPD on wow. dealing with somebody who has shown up at my house and is physically threatening and writes me, you know, DMs. It scary. Is she hot? <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm sorry. Did I say that out that loud? That was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's use that. Let's okay. use that for example. Okay. So now, go. I'd now let's say I set that all up with the crowd, and I say I'm dealing with this da da da, and just like you guys, right. kind of bring you in, and then I go. First of all, she's hot. Now you're gonna get that laugh, right? right? That's one point. Okay. Now here, what we have is, for me, I have the ability now to go to these four points of mm-hmm. 
just like that, a, a punch. Right. But but I'm comfortable enough mm-hmm. to know I'll get there. Let me meander in the middle. Let me find something else. Let me talk about something else that happened maybe rather recently. Might not be as funny as one of the four points. Might be funnier. But I'm going to play. Would you know what it would be? Or would you have nine things in your mind? Nine things. Nine things. Yeah. Minority Report screens going through my head. And I'm fucking like, I'm chess moving you. I'm eight moves ahead. But I'm thinking about the four move back rook thing that you just did. And why did he fucking give up the pawn there? Interesting. Right. So I'm seeing it. I'm editing it on the fly. But I'm knowing, hey, if I meander in the middle too long and it starts to get a little long in the tooth... I'll shoot to one of the corners. Mm-hmm. When I feel like I need to wrap it up, I'm going to go right into that middle, boom, big laugh, and then I'm on to the next thing. And you're using this sandbox technique at the cellar. Yes. Oh. Er- early version of it okay. was funny idea. Because, and, and by the way, it was from necessity. I didn't have another option. Hmm. I didn't say, here's my great sandbox technique that's so brilliant. No. It was, I can't write. I'm not a comedy writer. I've tried to sit and write, and that's my weakness. I don't think it's funny when I see it on the page. I think it's funny when I come up with it in a real conversational way. So this method, which fits me, was something I was discovering in New York, which was, I know where the funny is, but I want to be an improv comic. I want to be able to Robin Williams and get up there and play, but I still want to know I'm going to get the laughs and it's not going to turn into a one-man show. Right. Yeah. Which is a big difference. Big difference. One man show doesn't need to be funny. I should, if you want to do one man shows, just take out the four laughs and just get there. In the middle. <laughs> Talk about my dad for like yes. an hour. Yes, that'll be a lot of fun. I don't <laughs> see a fucking fort. Where's the fucking fort? So two things, and I think this is about a good time to take a break for a bathroom. If you, I don't know if you have to go. I'm good. I know I have to go. Okay. And I do want to say this though. It's funny because we're going to talk about this. I'm actually going to use the clip. I've never done an audio clip, but I'm in love with Dane's short film and that he directed and wrote. You wrote it too, right? Co-wrote it. Co-wrote it. Yep. yep. And, I'm in love with it, but we're going to take a clip, audio, from, from the movie. But if you think no one hears you typing, you're wrong, Jason. I know. Do you do that in meetings with your, with your employees while they're <laughs> talking to you? Like, so Jason, they like worked all weekend on a fucking pitch. They're like, so Jason, here's what we're going to do. And you're like, uh, uh, what? Yeah. I was typing stuff for here, though. <laughs> I've been researching. I've what have you been doing? But you, were, but you were typing like you were writing an angry letter. <laughs> as, I, as I say this, my phone goes off. <laughs> Saved by that. Yeah, but by the way, what a dick I am. Why do I have my phone on still? Like, this is me getting a little forgetful of shit. Am I the only professional in this room? You are, by the way. I'm just an intern. I'm going to go pee. I don't really care because if I, you know, you get to that point where it's like, you're not just having fun anymore. You're just thinking about peeing. That's what's happening. Go pee. Yeah, I I really do. Let's get back to the fun. The fatter I get, the more I'm just always thinking about peeing. That was a fucking incredible first half of an interview which this thing is so we're gonna have to break this up into two parts it's insane this was so great that he was willing to come here for two and a half hours and talk for all this stuff is just incredible i can't wait to share all of this with them yeah this has been you know more than insightful for me but it's also it's really understanding where the person and the artist Mm -hmm. really meet and there is a humanistic thing to every part of what you see out there in the psychology of fame Mm -hmm. and I feel like we got to some of that. Oh, and I, we're getting to more. I mean, it's. I can't wait to get back to this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a list for the next time we talk. Okay. About all the different ways that this has inspired me to do better, be better, get up, move earlier. forward. Yeah. Get up way earlier. It turns yeah, out. I get up late. Yeah. No, I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to change that. Well, let me just say to everyone out there, please download us on iTunes, on Spotify, on all the basic. Where else can Castbox, Himalaya, um, uh, Podbean. 
uh, the internet. Uh, the internet. Wherever the worldwide podcasts are listened to by you. Yes. Stitcher. Oh, um, I like that. Yeah. TikTok? TikTok. Well, we're not we're not on TikTok yet, but we could we, we could make be. a TikTok page. Yeah, we'll make a short TikTok. Yeah, if we get enough people uh, uh, emailing in to us for a TikTok page, we will we will consider doing. One hundred percent. I will do whatever I'm told to do on a TikTok page. I'm just the intern, <laughs> like whatever. That is fantastic. We will be back with part two uh, with Dane Cook next time, kids. So thank you for being here and sharing this moment with us. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.